If you're running a newsletter or running sales for a newsletter, get in the habit of every time you're scrolling on whatever app is your poison and you see an ad that somewhat would make sense, screenshot it, save it to a folder in your phone or or immediately kind of like WhatsApp it to yourself because you're already spending your time scrolling. And yeah, those brands are spending today. Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Redekop. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time analyzing how the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world grow and monetize their audiences. I get a behind the scenes look at how they're growing their newsletters and driving revenue. And there is so much to learn from their success and from their mistakes. With this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know about so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your newsletter. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by newsletter ad sales aficionado, Dan Barry. Dan has managed brand partnerships for major media businesses like Finimize and The Daily Upside, where he was responsible for bringing in over $3 million in ad sales revenue in just over three years. In our chat, we go behind the scenes with Dan, where he shares his step-by-step process from prospecting to landing your next newsletter advertiser. You'll also learn how Dan handles objections, what to do when a campaign falls flat, and what newsletter operators should expect in 2024 when it comes to brand partnerships. Dan, thanks for coming on the Send and Grow podcast today. I'm really excited to dive into the world of newsletter ad sales. But first, can you tell us a bit about your background in the newsletter ad sales space? Cheers. Thanks, Dylan. So I guess in terms of exposure to newsletter from the beginning to now, I was originally training to be a lawyer at a a law firm straight out of uni. wasn't for me for various different reasons. Wanted to go into sales for various different reasons again. Uh, and then went to Finimize. Finimize selling a, a variety of different things, mainly newsletter ad sales, newsletter ad space I was selling, and also kind of like content solutions and APIs and, and stuff like that. And then in 2022, I moved into the Daily Upside as their first sales hire, and the Daily Upside's an awesome finance business newsletter probably looking after their main newsletter. It was only one newsletter when I joined, selling the ad space in there. Joined around just over 800,000 subscribers, I believe. At the time, the team was pretty lean. The founder, full-time growth slash part-time outreach person, a couple of different writers. And yeah, kind of like applying everything I'd learned at Finimize to the daily upside, creating copy processes, going out and doing a lot of outreach, which is unavoidable if you're going into sales or running the sales department of a newsletter. And then, yeah, fast forward a year, I left the Daily Upside for a, for a couple of reasons. Absolutely nothing on the Daily Upside. They're an awesome team, an awesome company, an awesome newsletter, a couple of personal reasons, and then kind of stumbled out of some some personal chaos and, and founded Revenues, which is a newsletter which helps newsletter operators generate more newsletter revenue mainly looking at ad sales and yeah i've been doing a few other things doing some consulting for a few different newsletters helping them generate more money mainly looking at what they're currently doing or could be doing with their ad sales operations yeah that's and then that's kind of brings us to today very cool so when it comes to partnerships and identifying and establishing partnerships what what are the main things that you look at that make for a successful partnership so 
the main things you're looking at when you're going out trying to find the right brands to reach out to asking in Mm -hmm. terms of who is going to run an effective campaign or who is going to be from a sales perspective the most lowest hanging fruit we'll start with sales so the lowest hanging fruit is always going to be people that that no one trusts you or the brand uh the brand being the company your newsletter so let's say you're starting sales tomorrow and you want want to go out and try and get your first advertiser, find out who in your network, whether that is your actual friends, your previous colleagues, or people in your wider professional network works in a company that would you think would, would be a good fit to advertise in your newsletter, ideally in marketing. You can always, if they're not in, in marketing, ask for a referral to the marketing person. But yeah, start with your existing network. The next and, and kind of, one of the more obvious places to look is is other newsletters or similar publications. And newsletters is, is a very great place to start because a brand that is advertised in a similar newsletter to you, let's say you're running a finance newsletter and you want to reach out to brands advertising in other similar finance, personal finance, maybe economics or more broad business newsletters, they're aware of the format of newsletters. Mm-hmm. They Hopefully the campaign has gone fairly well. So the audience is going to be a fit, assuming the audience is somewhat similar and if you're reaching out to them within good time, as in close within close proximity to when their campaign went live in Newsletter X, then they are actively spending. Generally, they probably signed that contract a few weeks ago if, if the placement is going out today. So they're in a period where their marketing budget is open to newsletters or, or new newsletters. So network, newsletters, and then you can kind of look at other different publication formats podcasts blogs websites ads you see on linkedin i like linkedin because the cpms and cpc on linkedin are really high versus twitter and meta so if you see an advert on linkedin you think that brand would work really well linkedin's a more expensive platform a similar cost to newsletters to twitter are quite a lot cheaper for impressions and cpcs and therefore acquisitions so that conversation can be harder with those platforms and is if you're speaking to the person that was responsible for executing on that linkedin ad they're used to paying a premium for advertising in general and then you can depending on how niche your newsletter is if you're very niche and b2b and or b2b you can kind of venture outside you can ease more easily venture outside of brands that are already advertising and just kind of look at brands that you know would be awesome so let's say you're running a an hr newsletter that is filled with hr professionals executives or trainees or students going after companies which create or hr software companies or yeah that would be the probably the most obvious example Mm -hmm. even if you haven't seen them advertising in a similar channel because it's such a good fit it's gonna make a lot of sense so that's kind of like the order of the lowest hanging fruit that i'd see it's harder if you're more general because you're more general yeah like broad appeal sort of newsletters are a little bit trickier i'd imagine yeah yeah and it's niche can be a bit of a superpower it can restrict you to to your market doesn't have to but if you're speaking to the right people in your niche, which you definitely should be, you use your niche to your advantage and you have an awesome, even somewhat yeah. small audience of let's stick with the HR example for no apparent reason. You have 15,000 HR professionals across the US and Europe. 
that's going to be super, super interesting to more interesting than 200,000 professionals. And some of them are probably in HR, M- much more interesting because there are yeah. a lot of those audiences and scarcity is on your side if you're niche, especially if you're B2B and, and speaking to companies that have a high basket size, which is always something to consider because the economics for newsletter advertising just work better if their average order, order value or LTV is in the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars as opposed to a t-shirt company and each basket is worth 50 bucks and then they only make 20 or 30 out of that but your cpms are 20 or 30 dollars it just gets very hard to work as a campaign and sell as a campaign which both are equally as important right and i i that logically, that very much makes sense. I think the interesting points you made there, well, it was all very interesting, but the fact that a really good strong signal that somebody is going to be probably willing to at least entertain a conversation about a advertising partnership would be that they're already advertising. So you mentioned like LinkedIn versus Twitter and Meta when you are LinkedIn having higher ad rates than than Twitter and Meta. That's where if you have obviously a, a higher cost for your ad placements, that would be a, a better audience to follow. But I think in general, the fact that somebody's advertising on either of those platforms is is just a, a good signal that they might be open to that conversation, right? So people even with smaller ad rates might not, you know, somebody who's advertising on Twitter or Meta might be still a decent candidate for them if, if their ad placements are a little bit less expensive too, I would imagine. Yeah. And just I wouldn't ignore Facebook, Instagram, Meta, all these rebrands get confusing. I wouldn't ignore them by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> if you're running a newsletter or running sales for a newsletter, get in the habit of every time you're scrolling on whatever app is your poison and you see an ad that somewhat would yeah. make sense, screenshot it, save it to a folder in your phone or, or immediately kind of like WhatsApp it to yourself. I used to WhatsApp it to my girlfriend and spam her. And then at least I'd have it in a, in a channel, in a chat <laughs> that I could revisit. And I'd just say ignore right. and just send her a bunch of investing platforms as advertisers and then reach out to them when I got, <laughs> got to my desk. But get in the habit of doing that because you're already spending your time spending slash wasting your time scrolling outside of work time, ideally. And yeah, th- those brands that are spending today uh, especially if it's on those platforms, because they're obviously they are literally spending today, or it was set up very very recently. So once you let's say you find an advertiser who actually returns your cold email or outreach attempt, <laughs> can you walk us through sort of the process of negotiating a partnership in terms of you don't have to go through intricate detail necessarily, but what what are those steps involved from you know cold outreach to actually <laughs> launching that campaign? So yeah, in in my experience. Asking for a call straight away in, in the in the first cold email can work, but mm-hmm. it's going to generate a much more quality conversation and probably get a better response rate if you lead with a less intrusive, presumptive call to action and specifically a question call to action, something like, would you like me to send a media kit? Or after you've described your audience in the, in the outreach, does this seem like it's aligned with your audience? Or you can say, once you've done your research on the brand, and let's say that they're looking for founders, it's like, are founders part of your ICP? Let me know if I'm way off here. So more of a question-based, context question-based CTA, which starts a conversation, which you can then convert to a call as in, bam, let's get on a call. It just doesn't get a as a high response rate in my experience and as a quali- as a as many quality 
responses. So you can ask for a call or lay out some information. If they've asked for a media kit, lay it out. You don't want to lay out pricing straight away because you need to build up value before you convey pricing. And how you build up value in newsletter ad sales game is to ensure that the audience is a fit, make sure that they trust you. It's It's got quality numbers in terms of open rate, click-through rate. The biggest one for sure is, is audience fit. And the best way to okay. properly determine that is to get them on a call. And you have to spark their interest by feeding them a little bit with hopefully relevant audience information. And this is where your good prospecting skills comes in handy. But yeah, tailoring the response, obviously, if they've asked, whatever they've asked, we're giving it to them, getting them excited, but not giving them everything. Don't make the first reply an information dump, because if they don't reply, then you've got nothing else to say. Plus, if it's too long, they won't read the email or they'll just kind of get scared. I'm like, why is this person sending me seven paragraphs? So just quick, relevant <laughs> fact in a nicely formatted way and say, if this sounds relevant, we should definitely explore on a call later this week, early next week, suggest some times. If they don't reply to that, which happens a lot, if not most of the time, then follow up and assume that they're the kind of person that wants to stick to email, which for small sub 5 10k media buys a lot of the deals are just done over email getting on a call is always advantageous because you can ask the right question understand their goals understand their target audience to then pitch your product and your audience your newsletter to them better than if you were just going off your assumptions but if you are fully committed to getting on them a call and, and then kind of neglect an email conversation you're, you're going to put a lot of people off and lose a lot of deals which could have been done with people just over email the smaller the media buy the less likely they are to want to get on a call i think because it's time invested in this and if it's only mm. sub 5k depending on the brand of course but like a, a smallish sub 5k media buy while they might be really really interested it might not be worth getting on a half an hour call for but then let's say you, you've got a got a positive response you've replied they've jumped on a call obviously make sure that you're leading with a lot of questions trying to really understand who their target audience is what their goals are what their kpis are have they advertised in previous newsletters how did that go all those juicy informations what's their team's target are they in demand generation are they in lead generation are they in brand awareness are they in user acquisition are they a growth marketer what's their individual goals not all of these questions of course but like really try and understand who they are what their team's goals are what their company goals are audience is the is probably the biggest one understanding their goals and audience and then you can pitch your audience and obviously framing it to match their target audience whilst keeping obviously everything true and, and the data correct but there will yeah. be two sides yeah. of a if it's a finance or a kind of broad economic newsletter there's often like the investing side of your audience and that's their income stats how many are accredited etc and there's the b2b side of your audience their job titles what industries they're in and obviously you want to showcase the most relevant one and within that there's more details and nuance within the investing side you want to talk more about if it's a crypto brand but about that if it's a stock brand if you have the data about what kind of stocks or ETFs are interested in, et cetera. So you want to get as much information from them to pitch appropriately. 
pitch, describe your audience, get them excited about a campaign, how you approach your campaigns, the operations of your campaigns, close out the call with acquiring their budget, ideally in a dollar amount, or if they're reluctant to say a dollar amount, which is quite often the case, you can lay out your pricing, say a primary is X, a secondary is Y. We usually like to start with a package of four to six. Does that sound digestible to you? And you, you can, a lot of brands and people are hesitant to lay out a dollar amount when you ask for the budget, but you can ask it in a, in a roundabout yeah. way, which is more approachable and digestible for them. So you want to get their budget, but you want to get their timeline. If they have a timeline in mind, then you can act accordingly on the back of it. Ideally, especially if it's a bigger company, you want to get their decision-making process. And that is, if it's the CEO of a 20-person SaaS startup, probably less important because they're going to make the final decision. Same with if it's a CMO. But um, as soon as you get to a company which has more than one marketing person in, then that becomes a lot more important. And Obviously, the, the bigger the company, the more complex decision-making processes can be. You can go through two, three different approvals. Mm -hmm. And then once you get into huge enterprise companies, most of those are looked, the, most of their marketing budgets are looked after by agencies, which is another layer of annoying complications, annoying for salespeople, great for their company. Another layer of complications yeah. and, and yeah. people and bureaucracies to navigate so yeah key key things get on the back of a call to close out a call budget timeline decision making process send a proposal in line with the sales conversation on the back of that don't be afraid to follow up but follow up accordingly if it's mm -hmm. it's now december if it's a q2 campaign don't follow up every two days for four months that's obviously going to piss them off <laughs> but if, yeah. if there was a chance that they wanted to get it off the ground before Christmas, which Christmas is in 19 days now, then maybe you probably do want to follow up every two days. Act accordingly, basically. And then when it comes down mm -hmm. to the kind of options, typically laying out free options will, in theory, make them want to go for the middle one. So if you have a smaller, a big option you were originally talking about in the call, in the pitch, which is quite a, a common occurrence, you'd kind of like them to go for the bigger one lay out a small medium and then like a ridiculously large package and that will help anchor them to larger prices and human nature and psychology they're quite likely to pick the middle one especially if they, they go upwards because if they go upwards for a decision they're going to be looking at this in more from more of a risk management perspective than the person you've spoken to because they know you and trust you a bit more and second if it's a larger media buy or generally a bigger company or a complicate more more complicated deal with more moving parts jumping on a second call can be super mm -hmm. super helpful if you think that it will be required ideally get that call booked in in the first call saying i'll send you a proposal shall we catch up in two weeks and iron out all the details then you're at least you haven't sent a proposal and you're just chasing and chasing and chasing you sent a proposal and the default position is yeah. you are talking to them in two weeks and it's not chasing, it's yeah. sending more information. But uh, kind of a going about this in a not too linear way, but once you send a proposal, follow up, try and add value in your follow-ups and add value is such a buzzword, but showcase more new information, a case study here, 
another audience that there mm-hmm. a recent newsletter which was talking about a topic which they might be interested in by nature of their role or company don't just send an email that's saying have you seen my proposal yet what do you think try and make it <laughs> showcasing more information and adding value to their life okay and i think you've laid out some really good steps from kind of start to basically getting to the point where we're following up and and sealing a deal we We've offered them three ad options, ad packages, and trying to anchor them to the middle one. Let's say they've they've come back to you saying, yeah, it looks good. Let's go for it. And you run the ad and then you get, they do not get the result they're after, uh, which I think is, at least for me, just in, in my experience running ads in newsletters, that's always been a fear. Like, you know, I'm, I'm charging X amount and I hope I can get the the value for the for the client. So, what do you do in the case where it the ad hasn't performed to the to their expectation or to maybe what you not that you promised, but what you you know kind of led them to believe it might be the case? And how do you deal with those challenges? Sure, I, I guess I can start with the things that you can do before you get the pre-sales things you can do, and then then the the post-sales things you can do. So, the pre-sales obviously make sure you're trying to reach out to the most relevant brands who you genuinely think will will do well and your readers will like. That being said, you do want some kind of diversity in, in your brand partners in terms of industry. You don't just want investing platforms or B2B solutions with productivity tools. You do want a spectrum, but at least make sure that you think there's a good chance that it will go well, of course, goes without saying. Managing expectations is really important. You obviously want to sell and present data and numbers which make them buy, but you also don't want to inflate those numbers. You you need to make everything super, super clear. If you're sharing a case study, which is like the top, one of your top performers, then maybe mention that as a caveat, include ranges and, and just be super honest and transparent with all your communications and and try and manage expectations where possible with CTR quotes because CTRs can massively vary depending on the product, the weather, how people are feeling, the copy, all of the above, none of the above. Just make sure you, you mention that. But once it has happened and a partner is unhappy with how the performance has gone, I mean, even well-crafted marketing campaigns to the right audience, well over 50% of them don't succeed. And success is usually defined by the marketer themselves. So don't take that as my newsletter's rubbish, this brand is rubbish, or this type of product isn't going to go well. Most marketing campaigns around the world, even if they're done well, don't succeed. I hit their target KPIs. That's just a fact of in the same way that most sales don't succeed a 20 percent conversion rate from pitch to, to a one deal is good so that means that 80 percent you're, you're going to lose those deals even if you're doing an, a, a fairly decent job so don't get emotional about it don't take it to heart don't kind of get too defensive over it assuming that you've done everything well on time and executed the campaign properly best way to approach it is is to really have a an honest look at the campaign the copy the timing the image the angle the feature or product that you focus on was it educational was it too salesy uh try and suggest ways that that it could be better if you're trying genuinely to do that and not just coming from a let's try and 
do this, so they rebook, then it will obviously become across a lot more yeah. organic and, and genuine. Uh, obviously, you want to sell, but if you can just genuinely focus on the campaign and, and not even mention a renewal if they're annoyed or not even heavily mention the prospect of we'll do this better next time. Do you want to discuss rebooking? Um, right. Let me ask you a follow-up. If they've booked a, a package deal and the first ad set just like dramatically underperforms, have you ever dealt with a situation where they want to pull, pull it out, the deal altogether, the rest of the ads? So that specific scenario, I think I've dealt with that once or twice. Most marketers know and understand that it's going to take more than one touch point to drive significant results, especially if mm-hmm. those results are new users or opened accounts. So most marketers won't make comprehensive conclusions after just one touch point, or at least they shouldn't. Some do and get very, yeah. they've seen absolutely zero traction and zero engagement. That can happen and, and you just need to kind of say, okay, obviously that's come well under your expectations. Lay out exactly what you've seen, open rate and click rate basically the stats that you have to lean on your end lay out what you've seen whether that's good or bad from your perspective and then try let's just put our best foot forward for this next copy let's try a different angle let's talk more about this Mm because this campaign has gone well with this brand that was quite similar and we talked about this product or feature of them so let's lean into that that kind of circles back to what we just talked about genuinely trying to improve the campaign if you assuming you've you've signed an IO and it's a ten placement campaign and you've got nine to go, obviously cancelling it is probably not going to be in the contract. Depends on how you you positioned yourself and in, in the contract, but yeah. cancelling it after after one placement isn't not going to be kind of like within the contract and, and generally not be reasonable anyway. Yeah. So yeah, just tr- generally trying to focus on what what to do better next, but also being understanding yeah. and and polite and friendly and all those all that jazz yeah it's a fine line of balancing expectations trying to sell the ad package yet you know balancing expectations that you know the first placement might not be a rousing success and and yet still trying to to make sure that they sign on or or especially if you believe in in the fit with your brand their brand and your Mm -hmm. newsletter so that's that's good advice yeah i want to ask you our partnerships ad sales um are they right for every newsletter i know there's a lot of people who are listening who probably have either had experience with with ads and maybe not a great experience. There's probably a lot of people also who have just never really thought of that as a monetization strategy. So what, what, what's your take? Like if you were, if you were to kind of, you know, paint everybody with the same stroke, which we shouldn't do, but are, are ad placements right for, for any newsletter? And if not, why? Assuming the, the classic morning brew type flat fee sponsorship model is great, can be awesome, can be a really effective and, and, and scalable business. It works really well for quality but broad audiences like The Morning Brew or The Daily Upside or Finimize. Where it becomes less of a great revenue stream is where your newsletter is smaller, more niche, or a less valuable audience. The CPMs you can charge will obviously potentially be lower. Your total list size, if you're super, super, super niche, is, is just never going to be an amount which you can charge thousands per ad slot. Maybe it only goes out twice a week and you're you're capped by how many times you send out a week and the CPMs you can charge. So the flat fee sponsorship model 
is definitely a, a fantastic model for audiences which have the capability to either be super valuable, like an Axios Pro Rata or a Payload, or audiences with the capability to be super large, like Morning Brew or 1440. It, for mm-hmm. other maybe more niche, smaller newsletters, I still think it is a flat fee ad sales is a great revenue stream and should be part of the revenue producing pie. There are a lot of other revenue streams and the different ways you can monetize a newsletter. A lot of them are advert related like affiliate marketing or selling leads or using ad networks and they can all kind of work together, not work together, but work alongside each other to kind of diversify your revenue streams mm. while still coming under the ad bracket. And then outside of the ad bracket, there's obviously courses and kind of selling data and consulting or more specifically using your newsletter as a funnel for consulting. So yes, flat fee sponsorship is probably the most proven revenue stream for newsletters, but it's definitely not the be all and end all. And some newsletters are probably better off focusing on courses or premium content. Product and service sales. Yeah, building a SaaS building a SaaS product if, if that's aligns with your newsletter and you have the skills to do so. So where do you see newsletter partnerships heading into 2024 in terms of uh, maybe opportunities or changes to the way people do things? I know, you know, media ad sales have kind of been sort of more or less the same model for a long time, but is there anything, is there anything you see as an opportunity in 2024 going forward or any new ways of monetizing that you see see people doing that could be huge yeah so ad sales or the ad market in general back in 2021 maybe early 2022 when the economy and the stock market was all going up and to the right and marketing budgets were spent yeah. more liberally selling newsletter ads or marketing campaigns on the whole was a lot easier to get responses and close deals, especially when you're a new channel. Over the last year and a half or two, as stock market has crashed, etc., it's become a lot harder. But the outlook for corporate marketing spend is pretty positive. Looking into 2024, kind of like looking across the board at different sources, most surveys show that most companies are planning to in- increase their ad budgets considerably and have been gradually throughout this year step by step anyway so i'm pretty bullish on the ad market in general but at the same time there are a lot more newsletters in the world some great Mm -hmm. some not so great some in the middle as with anything so it's going to be more competition more noise going to be more important to find a niche hunker down and then own that niche or just be really good in terms of quality content it's gonna be really important to craft the right sales emails to stand out in people's inboxes it's gonna be really important to not just rely on one outreach method i mean yeah it's i could talk all all day about what's going to happen in 2024 we've had sales and partnerships but i think where possible to create a diverse revenue pie is going to be more important and not just rely on ad sales because the last two years or so has proven that marketing budgets are very fickle. They're the first, especially experimental marketing budgets, are the first thing to go in a downturn. So if there is another downturn, yeah. global conflicts expand, whatever it is, the black another black swan, mm-hmm. and your only revenue is ad sales or flat fee sponsorships, then um, 
yeah, you're going to struggle. Diversification is is uh, a good leverage point. Diversification for sure, right? is like key. Having having more revenue streams that you can lean on if one dries up is is never a bad strategy. I want to talk a little bit about your your latest project, Revenues, which is very cleverly worded. I, I've got to say, I got to hand it to you. Um, so talk to us about about launching Revenues, what that newsletter is, and yeah, just give us give us a quick background on that. So I launched Revenues in September. So it's it's sixth of December today. So it's still pretty fresh. It's a newsletter doing deep dives into newsletter partnerships topics mostly focusing on how to optimize an ad sales operation. Also kind of like talking more broadly about newsletter operations on the whole and affiliate marketing and maybe courses a little bit more as I build out that newsletter and then explore my own monetization routes, which as we discussed, maybe ad sales won't or flat fee sponsorships won't be the best route for that. So I'm exploring affiliate marketing and right. we'll be exploring most likely courses in the future. So that will expand my scope of newsletter monetization expertise. But yeah, the, the goal for the newsletter is to help newsletter operators generate more revenue and optimize their ad sales. And I've not really been a writer before. So it <laughs> takes me quite a while to just do the, the one a week on a weekend, but uh, it's fun. That's awesome. I, you know, you, you would have fooled me that you're not a writer because I, you know, in prep for this conversation, I did actually, I've subscribed as well. So I have, I've read a few editions too, but I went, I went and did a few more, a few more dives and I, your writing is great. There's a lot of really tangible advice from somebody who very clearly has experience in newsletters and, you know, even more specifically in monetizing. And so like you, you're giving away again, that, that term, you know, tons of value, but really truly you are. So do you plan on potentially putting it behind a paywall or adding a subscription? Because I do know that that's been a, especially with, you know, the onslaught of Substack and Beehive and, and these newsletter platforms that allow you to very easily, you know, put a paywall up and charge a sponsorship. There's a lot of people who would probably be willing to, you know, pay for this detailed experienced advice from somebody like yourself. So is that, is that something you're thinking of? Maybe I should charge for it. Um, but Currently, <laughs> I, I don't intend to charge for the the content which I'm putting out. I intend to kind of keep that free, build that up as a as a newsletter, mm. as an audience, as a business. I plan on monetizing. Already, I'm starting to monetize it with, a, with affiliate marketing, premium content, and or courses, which in this topic would be pretty similar because if it's premium content and it's educational, is it a course? Is it premium content? Blurry lines. It's definitely something I'm considering. Perhaps it would be kind of like more time sensitive insights on the ad market or I don't know. I'm, I'm really two or three months in to this and, and it's a good question. I'm, I'm yeah. exploring all the monetization methods for the revenues newsletter now. Some form of premium content or, or courses, whether it's kind of like I've started building this out as a resource for myself and my clients anyway, like a, a full enormous mind mm -hmm. map of everything newsletter partnerships from adopts to outreach to proposing to pitching. It's going to all, all different topics and then hopefully blending in other things alongside ad sales as well as like a full newsletter monetization blueprint, maybe something around charging for that but at the moment, I just nice. want to keep it a, a free newsletter, which helps newsletter operators make more money. Yeah, I love it. And it's a lot easier to grow a newsletter when you're 
your, your first ask isn't just to subscribe, but also to, you know, chip in some money. So I, I'm curious, since this is, correct if I'm wrong, this is the first kind of newsletter you project you've started on your own? Yep. And I, I joined Fidomize when they're around yeah. 500,000 subscribers, Daily Upside when they're around 800,000 800, and, and saw them right. continue to scale up from there. Yeah, this is the first newsletter I've started myself and haven't really put any spend behind it. We've got about 500, 500 subscribers. So it's it's super okay. fresh, nice. super baby. I was just tinkering around with t- Twitter ads before our call, actually. So, yeah. Oh, nice. I was going to ask you what your your growth uh, strategies, at least uh, if you... It doesn't sound like you've quite, quite nailed down exactly what you plan to do, but if you have any... For, I guess from your experience with Finimize and with Daily Upside, you've seen obviously the behind the scenes of what they're doing for growth. And are you are you leveraging anything in particular on your end for for growing revenues, or do you have any growth goals for twenty twenty four? Yeah, so again, I've, I've put about fifty dollars into the growth of the newsletter, just buying a couple of ad ad slots in the right. newsletter. But yeah, having exposure to some very competent marketers at Finimize and the Daily Upside, I. I I can talk about marketing and now doing it is a different story. I'm finding the time to actually do it is a different story. <laughs> right. But it, if I were to assume I had the time and money to apply that knowledge to my newsletter, I would definitely focus on the higher quality channels for me anyway, because I'm fairly niche and that would be other newsletters. Subscribers are just going to be much more engaged. Twitter mm-hmm. as a scalable channel, a lot of people and, and people, I mean, newsletter operators or agency owners that I know, say that Twitter delivers A, low CAC, and B, really engaged subscribers. The theory being is that it's a platform with written content, not visual content like Instagram, Facebook. Facebook's a bit of both. So I'm going to lean into Twitter. I am going to make Mm -hmm. better use of the Sparkleap platform, and I'm going to continue to try and get newsletter swaps. Um, Yeah, that for for me, those I think are going to be the channels I'm, I'm going to lean on the most and i mean doing that in a couple of months getting 500 subscribers is is you know that's that's not bad at all uh there's people who've been publishing newsletters for you know much longer that have fewer i can vouch for that myself when i started so anyway dan it's been awesome having you on you shared a ton of really in-depth information for us for people who are looking to get into ad sponsorships or who are maybe already do the, doing them, but could improve and take some of your advice. So I'd love for you to share with us where people can find you online to follow you along, subscribe to your newsletter and so on. If you want to share your where you live on the internet with us. So yeah, where, where I live is London. And where I live on the internet is Twitter, <laughs> LinkedIn. My newsletter is called Revenues, the news being N-E-W-S, like newsletter. I thought I was very clever doing that. www.revenues.co. Hat tip to that one. No, I, I quite like Cheers. it. Cheers. It took weeks. It took weeks of brainstorming. <laughs> yeah, www.revenues.co, Twitter and LinkedIn, Dan Barry or Dan Barry Revenues, however you stumble across me is on my main platforms. Awesome. We'll share all that in the uh, show notes, of course, all those links. And again, thanks for coming on, Dan. This was a great chat. And I'm, I know our listeners will get a, a lot about it. So appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you like what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating and review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, 
share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes. And whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.